1: The big thing on Total Soccer Show, the podcast where we take a deeper dive into the meatiest topic of the week. And this week we had little choice but head to Stamford Bridge to figure out how and why a manager who was given around £280 million to spend this summer was relieved of his duties this week. The morning after Chelsea's unexpected loss at Dynamo Zagreb, Thomas Tuchel was given his marching orders. And two days later, on Thursday, Graham Potter was appointed as the next Chelsea manager. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to discuss Tuckle's rise and fall at Chelsea, plus the future under Mr. Potter, is Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. I look forward
2: to never having to do a silent plane ride and then silent bus trip with people who want to fire me.
1: Okay. Graham Ruffin, hello. <laughs> Hi, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, hello, sir. Ahoy. Um, Taylor, I I, I sent sent some first-person perspective you were giving from someone else's perspective there.
3: Yeah, uh, the reports
2: about the flight back from after that Zagreb loss where uh, a lot of unnamed sources, definitely players and staff, were talking about how (laughs) the front of the plane and the front of the bus where Tuchel and the uh, Chelsea ownership group were sat was silent and not friendly. That feels like a very awkward trip. I'm guessing the firing the next morning was equally,
1: if not more, awkward. Wow, silent and not friendly is my brand. I can't believe they're taking it as well. That's crazy. <laughs> um, the good news for the listener is I have not seen any of the Harry Potter films, so I will not be making any bad Potter puns in this podcast. But you guys have at it. Um, one thing that did catch our attention that uh, Graham put on our uh, on our Slack chat was uh, Jules Kundé his IG story yeah. uh, with her picture of him face palming with the caption <laughs> "I almost joined them." hashtag Forza Barça, obviously referring <laughs> to Chelsea. I think there's something wrong, Graham, (laughs) when the stability and sensible ownership of Barcelona is a preferable option to going to Stafford Bridge.
4: Yeah, not quite sure that Mr. Kundi has got the stability that he was looking for in a new club, but he might be justified in thinking that Barcelona at this point are slightly more stable than Chelsea, which, as you say, is some statement. (laughs) It is indeed. All right, Tater. let's
1: outline the facts here. What got us to Tuchel's sacking? A man who can, you know, win a few pretty high-profile trophies with this club and not that long afterwards uh, be sent on his marching way and having seem- seemingly played a big part in structuring the Chelsea team this season, not least through transfers, um, mm. to be re- to be relieved in this manner is a bit of a shock.
2: Yeah, I would say so. And I think there are lots of different factors. I think there are also two... Sort of narratives there that are fighting for control. There is the Chelsea uh, ownership group narrative, which is that Tuchel had sort of divided the locker room, didn't seem like he was getting people back on side and was really difficult to work with, uh, didn't want to help with transfers, didn't want to have communication. And so they felt like it was an untenable situation. From Thomas Tuchel's perspective, uh, I think it it comes across more so as I won the I helped win the Champions League 18 months ago. You had an ownership change. I had to front the media and handle all of those very difficult questions about that transition in ownership and about Roman Abramovich being in charge. Then we lost uh, our basically our entire like sporting director department. Petr Cech leaves. Maria Gronoskaya leaves. And. It ends up being Todd Boley, the new owner, who is also sort of the interim sporting director. And he is relying on Thomas Tuchel's advice, uh, I think, which was not a thing that Tuchel had necessarily agreed to. And that's where some communication issues come in. Uh, you look at the transfers and I think both sides say they were heavily involved in the transfer activity. So I think it comes down to a lot of communication issues and then
1: some on-field issues on top. Indeed. and And Joe... It is the on-field issues that will have ultimately led to this decision, right?
0: I mean, yes, that's part of it. I think there is a huge set of factors. (laughs) I think there's a huge set of factors about the the behind-the-scenes stuff here. From everything I've read and and from The Athletic and from other outlets, this idea is that Tuchel was going to be gone even before Chelsea lost to Dynamo Zagreb in the Champions League the other day. So it seems to me that the ownership of Chelsea, Todd Bowley, and and Clear Lake Capital, and, and the other Folks involved in his consortium had an eye on this the entire time. There's been a lot made about, you know, it'd been a 100 days of Chelsea's new ownership in charge. And throughout that 100 days, they had an eye to, on on or around the 100th day, basically evaluating all of the key parts of this club. And Thomas Tuchel is obviously a key part of this club. So sure, the results were poor. So they beat Everton on an opening day in the Premier League. They drew with Tottenham 2-2 the next week. Uh, that gave us the best moment of the European season so far. Tong- uh, <laughs> gate, Tuchel and Conte, handshake gate. They lost to Leeds 3-0, got battered in that game, beat, Le- beat Leicester 2-1, lost to Southampton, beat West Ham, lost to Dynamo Zagreb. So very mixed results, and for Chelsea, that's not good enough. There are even poor results that go back to really ever since the fall of last year, After Chelsea are riding the high of the Champions League, they come in with high expectations. Last year, Lukaku's joined. This team can challenge for the title. That does not happen. They start to fall off. That is all very real. And Ryan, I'm not saying that's not a part of this. And I I think more than most folks like to look to the on-field stuff. And Chelsea had not been getting the job done. But you talk about and you look at and you read about all of the things that happen behind the scenes. You have Thomas Tuchel's agent coming in and doing some things for Chelsea in the player recruitment space because Tuchel is so sick of doing that stuff. He's so concerned about getting his on-field product ready after a disappointing 2021-22 season, and he's being dragged into all of these different... And and I I know I'm making this very like Tuchel's the victim here. I think there's part of that, but this is a nuanced discussion. But at least from this perspective, Tuchel is being given a lot of responsibility, as Taylor mentioned, that he was not necessarily eager to have. He called being involved in all that transfer stuff not his favorite thing. That's a direct quote. So that's a very real part of this, and it's absurd, frankly, that Todd Boley would come in all of the, the previous sporting director and staff would really leave, and Todd Bowley will take up that job, do it himself, go out and do Chelsea's transfer business, and then also keep all of this responsibility on Thomas Tuchel, who has a, a lot of other things going on as well. So again, I know this is all coming off sort of as, as Tuchel is the victim here. I think there is a piece of that. There is more, and Tuchel is certainly not without blame. Again, that, that ties into the on-field stuff and some other things we'll talk about later. But I think this does go a lot deeper than just the results on the field.
4: The, the fundamental change for me is in Todd Bowley coming in as the, the interim sporting director. Because in the past, Tuchel had that buffer between him and the people who who, who run Chelsea. And he had the, the, the sporting department with Marina Graviskaya and Petr Cech and Scott, Scott McLaughlin, who was the head of international recruitment. And they have all left, Joe, as you referenced there, that as soon as Todd Bowley comes in, And that robbed, took all of that buffer. He also had a layer that went beyond the sporting department as well between him and Abramovich because he had Bruce Buck, who was essentially Abramovich's man at Stamford Bridge, largely because Abramovich felt he couldn't visit London for a number of years due to to visa issues and then laterally issues related to the invasion of, of Ukraine. But um, it it felt like Tuchel was quite comfortable in that setting, in that structure. He just wanted to coach the team and all of a sudden he is dragged into these situations. Joe, you mentioned him delegating meetings to his agent with which with, is hilarious by yeah, the it way funny. And <laughs> it's it, so re- good there's also reports from the Athletic in the meetings that he was that he did attend that he was forced to attend he was detached he was incoherent in his thoughts and I've got visions of uh, Jesse Eisenberg in those lawyers meetings <laughs> in the social network basically that was that was Thomas Tuchel in the recruitment meetings this summer but I think that even though tw- 2022 has been a, a pretty poor year for Chelsea I think The football has been poor, and I think that's as big as anything when you're talking about what Todd Bowley wants from Chelsea, as we covered in a previous Big Thing episode. He's a man who appreciates the the entertainment element of sport. And I think he's looked at how Chelsea are playing beyond whether they're actually winning games and whether fans are excited. And Chelsea have not been a fun team, an exciting team for pretty much all of this year. So that factors into his decision. So there's something that predates Bowley that's a factor, but also I think the way that the structure of the club has changed has been a massive, massive factor in what has unfolded. Graham, some of the
2: coverage of Tuchel in those meetings reminded me, I love Calvin and Hobbs growing up. I love it to this day. And he has one where he is asked to shovel the walk and he does it really, really poorly. Like he shovels the lawn. He doesn't shovel the walkway at all. (laughs) He builds like a big mound in the middle of the walkway. And his quote at the end is Sometimes, if you do a job poorly enough, they don't ask you to do it again. And it did (laughs) feel like Tuchel was doing, like sandbagging those meetings fully to be like, I'll be here. I'm not going to add anything because I don't want to be here, but you're forcing me to be. Uh, And maybe didn't think that that would end in his firing. And it kind of sounds to me like maybe they had already started thinking about sacking him at that point, I have a whole theory about how well, long ago they decided they weren't going yeah. to continue with this, Thomas Tuchel. This, this, is, interesting, get- Taylor, as this okay. is
1: interesting, Taylor. This is interesting, because if I was going to make a cartoon analogy, I'd go mm. back to, of course, The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode where Bart, uh, gets an elephant called Stampy. Uh, yeah. At the end, they release him back <laughs> into like a wildlife sanctuary, and Stampy goes off and starts nudging another elephant and you know being being aggressive. And they ask why he's doing it, and the uh the the zookeeper or whatever he was says, "Well, some like some people, some animals are just jerks." And I thought the tickle victim angle is interesting, but also he might just be a jerk. And there's. There's this perception that there's been tried to be painted in the red top media, the paper that's named after the star at the centre of the solar system. Ah, yes. Said um, the perception, the, a quote that sources said the perceptions of Tuchel changed among players after he split from his wife of 13 years in yeah. May. That his character changed as well. So is is he Taylor a bit stampy as well?
4: That feels like a very sun line, a very sun story. That's the people <laughs> yeah. you're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, but that builds
1: in the case. I think Graham is the is the thing.
3: Uh, yeah, up? there was there was a really uh,
2: telling quote. I will try to find it. Here it is uh, from an athletic piece. We're quoting the athletic a lot. In the second half of his tenure, uh, that approach, the approach being of direct communication with players about why they weren't being included, what they could do to, to be involved or to kind of elevate their position, what they needed to work on, uh, that approach shifted dramatically. Tuchel did not initiate a single conversation with one first team player for more than a year, offering no guidance on how the player could get back into his team whenever they fell out of the starting 11, and then it continued on later, Romelu Lukaku, Timo Werner, Hakim Zayek, uh, Christian Pulisic, and Callum Hudson-Odoi all went into the summer deeply unhappy with their situations. And I think you see there that I think the communication issues had become pretty obvious, uh, so much so that Tuchel holds a preseason meeting Two preseason meetings, I should say. One for players who were committed to the team, one who were uncertain about their future, and some of the players who were uncertain, quote unquote, started their first game of the Premier League season, while those who were committed did not. And I think right there you see communication communication issues coming back. So it seems like there was communication. tough for me to say communication Ironic. issues between Tuchel and the front office, but then also communication issues between Tuchel and the squad itself.
1: Oh, boy. It is it's it is difficult. There's a little from column A and a little from column B in this situation, mm. it seems, doesn't it? But, I mean, how much, Joe, do we think we put on Todd Bowley for this? Because it's obviously, it, it seems like he is a bit eccentric. It's eccentric in itself to fire someone uh, a, a few days after a, a big loss like that, but ha- a matter of days after the transfer window closed, sure. in which he spent an awful lot of money shaping a team, presumably uh, yeah. in his vision.
4: What and and signing players that seemingly were a, a number of them were picked uh, by Tuchel. That's my sorry to jump in there, Joe. No, but that is fine. my my biggest um the, my biggest argument against this potentially being spin from Chelsea in the t- in terms of oh we were thinking about this all summer long. Well, why did you sign a bunch of players that were seemingly picked by Tuchel and sign Pierre Emerick Aubameyang on the basis that he had a strong relationship with Thomas Tuchel on deadline day and then fire him? A week later, that—that's the confusing <laughs> bit for me. That makes me question that whole story. Not to question the—the the sources of people like David Ornstein, whose—whose whose reporting is solid, but just in terms of the story that Chelsea are trying to breathe. Yeah, I have questions about that part. It's—it's it's bizarre, right? And and Graham, that ties directly into what Ryan's
0: asking here. You know, what is the timeline here? Why are these things happening in—in in the sequence that they're happening? And Ryan, to to your initial question, I think a lot of this falls on Todd Bowley. I think. There is a chance that even if Todd Bowley doesn't come in or even if things are handled differently, that this still doesn't work out, right? We can go back to the decline. There's been this stat that's that's been all around the internet about the first 50 games under Tuchel and the last 50 games under Tuchel. And there's this massive change in the numbers there. Like there's a ridiculous swing from one side to the other of those numbers. In the first 50 games under Tuchel, Chelsea had 32 wins, 11 draws and 7 losses and a plus 57 goal difference. In the last 50 games, the, the results aren't drastically different, but the worry signs are very much there. 28 wins, 13 draws, 7 losses. So not, not all that different. Four fewer wins, you know, some, some additional draws. And then you have a plus 34 goal differential. So that's a, a large swing in the goal differential. Chelsea's still a good team, but no longer a great team. So there, there were problems here, even setting Todd Boley aside. But the cultural change in the club is very real. I I think a lot of this, again, the front office figures leaving and Todd Bowley becoming the interim sporting director. We talked about Todd Bowley and how how sort of weird it was that he wanted to come in and do that. And that's how he chose to approach this. That was our first episode of The Big Thing. I had questions about that then and him wanting to sort of just execute trades with Inter Milan for Romelu Lukaku and some of the, the weirdness around that. There's questions, right? There's questions about his choices and his decisions. You read... About, you know, Todd Boley drawing up a 4-4-3 formation on accident on a whiteboard, and that's been disputed by Chelsea. And it's kind of a silly anecdote, right? We all make mistakes. I don't think we need to, you know, point any massive fingers there. But this idea that this guy, is, he's, not, he's not a soccer guy, and he's coming in and making soccer decisions. And more than that, and I think this has a, a bigger impact, he's making cultural decisions about the club. So new ownership asked Tuchel to come in and do things that he maybe didn't really want to do and didn't think was, was really part of his purview. And then tensions build and build and they have disagreements about players. And now all of a sudden you're stuck with all these players that you brought for your last coach. Although, to be fair, I think a lot of them fit very much what Graham Potter wants to do. But we can table that for now until we circle back around later. I'm not really sure that's that big of a deal. But the timeline is weird. The whole decision-making process is weird. And not just the Tuchel decision-making process, but the sporting director, the lack of sporting staff to support the front offices to support Tuchel. A lot of strange and I think very much not ideal decisions being made here. And,
4: and, I, and I can understand why Tuchel would, having worked with one of the best sporting departments in the Premier League with Marina Graviskaya, Czech, and McLaughlin... That used to be his sounding board and they would get the the, the transfer strategy and Tuchel would be left largely. I'm not saying he didn't have a say in the transfer strategy then, but he would largely be left to coach the team. All of a sudden you're sitting opposite a table uh, with Todd Bowley, who hasn't been involved with soccer to any great deal before. And Edgbale, um, his his right hand man, who again hasn't really been involved in soccer, and I can understand why Tuca would sit at that table and think, and 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 who are you? I've won the Champions League, I've won I've won titles in in, in France, I've, I've got a track record of success, I've been successful at Chelsea, and I can understand why all of a sudden having to um, operate under Todd Boley as an interim sporting director without that. Track record of, of doing anything in the sport that that would great. I can understand why that would great with with Tuchel, and it seems like it's the sort of he's the sort of character who would allow that to influence his outward conduct and behaviour. As seems to be the case. I'm assuming we need uh, to go to break in a moment,
2: Ryan. So before we do that, I'm just going to uh, add, Joe, to your point about Todd Bowley and the 4-4-3 formation. uh, I'm choosing to believe that that was just innovative tactics. Oh, for sure. I played for an amateur team uh, once when I first moved back to Richmond uh, with a manager who is now banned from the league, who is a big fan of trying to sneak on a 12th player in the middle of the game (laughs) to see
3: if the referee would notice – uh,
2: yeah. Interesting tactics from him. Maybe that's what Chelsea were going for. Maybe they thought VAR wouldn't pick that one up. So you never know. It could have been innovative or it could have been maybe just more of a whiteboard mistake.
1: I'm just picturing uh, Graham um, Thomas Tuchel saying, who are you? And Tom Brady saying, "Who am I? I'm the CEO of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I was the one who introduced <laughs> yeah. Firmino and Klopp to their dentist. That's who I what, am.
4: What's the title of that? the The chief of business, or what that Chelsea hired as well? What was that? The uh, title? Yeah, of that Tom Blake's president
1: of business. Yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. I'm the president of business. And who are you?
1: <laughs> Wonderful Nick stuff. Kroll's,
4: Let's, Nick uh, Kroll's
2: production company is good at business with a with a Z. That's what it sounds like to me. He's hired at being good at business. Yeah."
1: Well, let's not worry, darling, about Nick Kroll for now and take a quick break
3: (laughs) back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing, which seems to be inordinately about Tom Boley since we launched uh, this series. But uh, here we Uh, are again. uh, Taylor, I have a question (laughs) for you, a hypothetical. Hmm. If Tom Boley does not buy Chelsea, if uh, I suppose we have to wind back to if the Russian invasion doesn't happen and and Roman Mm -hmm. Branovich is still in charge, is Thomas Tuchel still in charge, are Chelsea still a big force in the Premier League and they haven't had a downturn?
3: I
2: think they are. I think so. I think he is. The communication issues and the stats that Joe mentioned about first 50 games versus the most recent 50 games, those are problems. But I also think Chelsea had a problem in their squad, specifically the defense. At the end of last season, lots of players uh, leaving, and they knew they were going to have to spend a lot of money. So I think there always would have been a transition period as they get in new signings. The number of attackers who seemed really frustrated by the way things had been going – Some of them not signed when Thomas Ducal was the manager. Some of them signed after he became the manager. But I think for the most part, I think a lot of the issues there weren't necessarily of his own creation aside from the results themselves. But I think a lot of the kind of backroom stuff we're talking about, a lot of the expectations on preseason and about being involved in those meetings and just taking time away from the squad, I think definitely play a part here. Because if you're taking him out of time with, players time and training time with his assistants to be in meetings about signing cristiano ronaldo i think you're taking him away from the area that he can have immediate direct and ideally positive influence to put him in other scenarios where he doesn't seem as welcome or as welcome to be involved
1: all right taylor um we you started <laughs> total soccer show as a means to broadcast your conspiracy theories and understand you have a few you'd like to get off your chest Well, there's just, there's two things. I think it's
2: one that, that Graham has already sort of uh, alluded to, which is the, again, the attempt to control the narrative here. And I think, Part of why we're hearing that Thomas Ducal wasn't as involved and didn't want to be included in transfers and didn't really want to contribute meaningfully to that conversation is to then for for Chelsea to then be able to say these signings in the summer were all club signings. We wanted his input. We wanted him to be involved, but he wouldn't be. He wouldn't give us useful information. So we had to do the best we could. I think looking at uh, Aubameyang is the hardest one, I think, to sort of, refute as being a Thomas Tuchel-influenced decision. Obviously, the Dortmund connection is strong there. They have a personal relationship. Uh, But I think that is Chelsea sort of trying to to get ahead of the story and say, like, nope, these were all our signings. None of them were him. He didn't help at all, even though it's really clear that he had demands. And even those areas where he did have demands, they then say, oh, he changed his mind. He wanted this player. Then he didn't want that player. Then he did want them again. And by then, we couldn't get them. And then he was mad at us for that. And there's a lot of finger-pointing. I think on both sides, I tend to believe the the individual who's being sort of pulled in a bunch of different directions. And I think part of that is also because the second thing I kind of wonder is if they decided that they were okay with getting rid of Thomas Tuchel quite some time ago, Yes, probably during preseason, probably on tour in the United States. And there are a couple reasons I say that, starting with probably the least significant one, the fact that Christian Pulisic is still there. And that's a player who... Could have been sold for a lot of money, could have been loaned out for, for a pretty high fee with maybe an option to buy. And they didn't do that. They kept him there. They kept a lot of players there who seemed surplus to requirement, seemed unhappy, as I mentioned. And I do wonder if that's because they thought new manager coming in, everybody gets brought back in, and then the squad will be happy again. Everybody gets to compete for spots. So we don't want to get rid of too many players too quickly. And I think that extends to Romelu Lukaku. I have wondered for a while why they would be okay with loaning him back. Uh, you would have assumed there would have been an option to buy or an obligation to buy for a large amount of money. There would have been other clubs interested in buying him, maybe not for the amount that Chelsea spent, but for a good amount of money. And they didn't do that. They loaned him out. He will return to Chelsea next season. And I wonder again if that is because a new manager will be there. Grand Potter, we now know, and maybe Grand Potter has a whole year to figure out how to use Romelu Lukaku so that when he comes back, he is part of that squad, and it doesn't look like such a big loss for him to have gone. But the major one, I, I will say, relates to the signing of Kukureya. And I will pause here. Uh, forgive me, but uh, it requires a bit of an analogy. Uh, I read a lot of Reddit. I'm a big fan of the best of Reddit updates, and there are always the stories of... Like, my husband came home from work, and he has a new co-worker, and he won't stop talking about how beautiful they are and smart they are and talented and funny. And now they're spending a lot of time together. I'm not sure what to make of that. And then the update is always like, yep, it went the way I thought it would. And... Uh, one of the stories I read about the Cucurea signing was that Todd Boley knew way too much about Graham Potter's career. <laughs> and, and and I just wonder if in that moment, Th- Thomas Tuchel thought, like, why do you like, man, you have either done your research, which seems unlikely given some of the other questions you have asked, or you've done your research because you're going to hire this guy in my place. And I wonder if back then they had already started like scouting or considering their options and some of their transfers or lack thereof. Make me wonder if this is a thing that's been coming. They've just been waiting for the right opportunity because yeah. ultimately I think they want to get rid of anybody connected yeah. to the Abramovich era.
0: And that, I, and that, that Brighton thing, Taylor, I think is a beautiful example. That's one of the reasons why I, I do buy into this whole idea that Chelsea had been thinking about this for a while. There's reports that, that Todd Bowley flew to Greece to have discussions mm-hmm. and personal discussions about the Mark Kukurea deal. And that, that deal progresses. And around that time, Bowley contacts, we're not sure if it's a phone call or what it is, he contacts Graham Potter to ask about, okay, who is this, who's this guy, you know, how's he gonna fit? What what's his personality like just to get more detail? And basically, uh, after having some of those discussions, again, whatever medium those took, it seems like Todd Boley was pretty well smitten with Graham Potter, and so he's realizing, oh, yeah, this this English coach is, is a pretty good dude. Let's keep our eyes on him. And then we fast forward a month or or a little less than a month, and Graham Potter is the new manager of Chelsea. That does not Taylor Rockwell feel like a coincidence. That-
4: yeah, I I read that uh, Grim Potter had been the the sporting director for Ghana's uh, yeah. women's team in 2007. Mm-hmm. I d- I didn't know that until this week. I like to think that Todd Bowley had like. intricate analysis of how uh, Ghana's women team played in 2007 and how they uh, maybe he drew it up in a a 4-4-3 formation but he still knew everything about that team and that maybe gave away his intentions well
2: Graham um, can I give you can I give you Ghana's uh, or Todd Bowley's analysis of the Ghana women's team
1: go on (laughs) Ghana have a women's team there you go that's Todd (laughs) Bowley's analysis of that team
4: yeah most likely well
1: Graham you jokingly said I like to think that Todd Bowley was looking at that Ghana national team but I think you like to think that because being cynical, I think Chelsea would like us to think that. Am I too cynical yep. that I think that this messaging that they've been looking for Graham Potter for some time is just a little a story that's been spun by the club a little bit uh, because I find it a little hard to believe in some respects because I find it hard to believe that if they knew they were going to fire Tuchel in yeah. the summer, they didn't just do it and make, make the action happen then. It seems a little bit convenient to work this backstory in for me. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I am. I am suspicious of the the pure briefing that's go- going on at the moment. That this was the plan all along. I think Taylor nails it when he says that Chelsea decided a while ago that they would be okay with firing Tuchel if the if if the the moment ar- arose and the situation arose. And I think that I think that's how it has panned out. I think Todd Bowley probably has had in the back of his mind that he would quite like Graham Potter. But I don't buy, I just look at that transfer strategy and the players that they signed and they were still committed to Tuchel to to a certain extent. But I do think they had a contingency plan and now they are acting on that contingency plan. Yeah, it all just feels like spin to me. Still, I'm I'm I'm, I'm just a hardened cynic, Graham.
1: That's the problem with me. So am
4: I. That's true. By You're more than anyway. anyone. But
1: Ryan, Ryan, let me ask
2: you this thing because I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think it's somewhere in between. I think it's it is that like they were okay with with uh, with Tuchel leaving and bringing in maybe Potter, maybe somebody else, but that it wasn't a thing they were necessarily going to act on right away. But what what it what would be the spin then like what do you think Chelsea are trying to cover up that this is just like a panic decision to yeah. fire Tupel and then they need to get somebody yeah. really exactly quickly.
1: that and also I think a lot of Chelsea fans who uh maybe more casual or maybe uh, you know of that ilk would be expecting a Pochettino or something like that hmm. and they have brought in the idea that Potter has always been the one because Bowley's had his eye on him since he was six years old and uh, <laughs> it's it, it's always been Graham Potter's job so that's the that kind of thing I think plays into it too, Taylor.
4: Yeah, and is, I think Todd Bowley. Yeah. From what we have, look, he's only been in charge for of Chelsea for what, like three, four months. So we don't, we still don't know a great deal about him. But just looking at the deals that he's made in the transfer market and how he's controlled Chelsea so far, he seems like quite an impulsive person at the moment. Certainly with the the how quickly transfers have happened over the summer. So I could believe that Todd Bowley, who was in Zagreb by the way for that game, he's travelled to Croatia for that game and he's watched Chelsea. Turn in an, a dreadful performance and in in the heat of having watched that, he's made a hasty decision. And now they're trying to spin it as this was the plan all along. I I, I could, I could, I could believe that. I think there's, there, there might be something in there, in that. But I, I agree with Taylor. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. You've got the two extremes of Tuchel's been hard done, hard done by, and Todd Bowles had a plan all along. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Well, does so? Does anyone think? I think we can all agree, and this seems like a pretty obvious thing that the timing of
0: the decision is dreadful, right? Having spent more money than any Premier League team in the transfer window for a coach to play those players and shape them into a, a title-winning team. Now that coach is gone. The coach that that assume, we assume wanted those players, at least to a certain extent. We can all agree that that the timing is bad. Does anyone think, though, that Tuchel shouldn't have been fired? Does anybody think that he should still be in charge of Chelsea today? It, it seems clear to me, I guess I'll say. And maybe this is spin, right? I don't. I don't know. I don't have any context in this area. It seems to me that the relationship between Thomas Tuchel and his players and the relationship between Thomas Tuchel and his bosses were both bad. You might be able to get away with one of those relationships being uh, being fractured in some way, but both feels incredibly difficult to bounce back from. I think Thomas Tuchel is a good coach. I think, and from all reporting, he was a really good man-manager at Chelsea for a year or so. Something changed, and, and maybe that's additional pressure from the ownership. Maybe that's even happening a little bit before the ownership changes, and there's a lot of pressure coming in, in from him from the the Russian Uh, 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 takeover and all of those things with Roman Abramovich uh, selling the club and all of those things. There's a lot of pressure that comes from that. But does anybody really think that that Tuchel should still be in charge of this team?
4: It's it's a decision that I wouldn't have made because I would be... I would be... Yeah, I wouldn't have sacked him after that that Dinamo Zagreb game because I think... um, See, I've got mixed thoughts on this because I also I'm not confident that he would have turned it round. But I think we're, we're seven games into the season. Chelsea, Chelsea have made a huge number of new signings, spent a lot of money. They've they've also allowed a number of big players to leave the club over the summer. And this summer, we said it in our, our, our Premier League previews was was always going to be a transitional one, and it was going to take time for him to to mould that team into something new. And the transfer window only closed last week, so I, I, it feels like he didn't really have. An opportunity to do that. So if you if you look at things on the pitch, I, I struggle to make a case that I would have sacked them. But I accept what you say there, Joe, about relationships with players and bosses. I am not privy to those relationships. So so maybe if I had been in the situation that Todd Bully was in, I I might have sacked him. But in terms yeah. of on the pitch stuff, I, I wouldn't. That's not the decision I would have made. I think I think
2: I understand why they did. I think I also don't think I would have in that moment because. Like Chelsea, this is not a point that I am the first to make. Chelsea under Tuchel, they get criticized by their own supporters for being boring, for being dull, for not being particularly attacking. That's kind of been their brand. They've been a very good defensive team under Tuchel. It's been kind of the hallmark of how they've won games. Then you have the attackers who can do things and make stuff happen, but you have this defensive foundation. And so I think when you lose a lot of that foundation and then you have probably your most important midfielder, maybe the most important player on your team, and N'Golo Kante unable to play. I think it's going to have a an immediate effect on results and on the way that team plays. I, I don't think the recruitment necessarily is on him and the way the kind of squad has been assembled and some of the players that were allowed to leave. I think that is also outside issues kind of coming into play. So he gets this team that needs restructuring and kind of reinvigoration to have the defensive stability, but still also has to figure out the attacking side. And I think to pull the trigger now is, I think, premature because there's still that chance that he could have gotten the defensive foundation right and then figured some things out from there. But I think with the way that they went about their recruitment in not selling some of the players I've I've already mentioned, but then with some of those communication issues on top, I understand why they might not have gotten better. And it sounds like the ownership group decided it doesn't seem like it's going to change. We have a hard time believing that communication is suddenly going to be perfect between him and the squad. That results are going to turn around right away. So sunk cost fallacy. Let's get rid now uh, and not sort of stick around to the World Cup. But I, I do think for what he's been able to achieve, it's it's a bit premature in my mind to put it all on one person. You get rid of him. You bring in Graham Potter you still don't have a ton of other people there Certainly. who are sort of helping make those decisions. It feels a bit like they are putting it all on Thomas Tuchel because they themselves may have made some mistakes along the way.
1: All right, uh, let's pour some out for Thomas Tuchel then, who leaves Chelsea with just his £13 million payoff, his Champions League and Club <laughs> World Cup on his resume, and the likelihood he'll be employed by someone else who will give him millions and millions. Juventus. Poor guy, poor guy. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's look to the future under Graham Potter. Back shortly.
3: So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: Title Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing. We are looking ahead in our crystal balls to Chelsea's very near future. Joe Lowry, Graham Potter, what does he do with this squad of players who was built for Someone else is gonna go
0: well. <laughs> uh I don't know. I, I don't know, Ryan. I I'll start there. There's a lot of intrigue around this hire. Graham Potter, first of all, as a character, is is an awesome story, right? Uh he, he sort of rises to relative hipster prominence, I'll put it that way, during his time coaching in Sweden. Then he comes to to the UK, ends up coaching with Swansea, then he's coaching with Brighton, and has a lot of success, right? Did incredible things in Sweden with with small teams, relatively speaking. And now has had some really incredible success with Brighton as well. Tactically, I think he is one of the brightest English managers, if not the best and brightest English manager in the world right now. He's an exciting dude. and I think this is a cool next step in his story. Tactically, he kind of plays like Thomas Tuchel. And that's why I said earlier in this show, (laughs) I I don't think it is the worst thing. Whether Chelsea fell backwards into this or whether this really was the plan all along, I don't know. And frankly, doesn't really matter. But I will say it is not the worst thing that they went out there and did all of that business because Graham Potter likes to play with a back three a lot of the time, not totally married to it, but likes a back three, likes to play with possession, likes to dominate the ball when he can, likes to press, likes to counter press, likes to start attacks high up the field. He plays like modern dominant teams do. He he coaches like a lot of the, the most famous coaches in the world. He doesn't have the same experience, but he does a lot of the same stuff. So adding in players like Cucurella, who he already knows, adding players like uh, aggressive center backs and Koulibaly and Fofana, that's not bad. Raheem Sterling certainly fits in this team. There is a logical fit for a lot of these players, maybe not all of them, and I'm sure Potter would have chosen to do things differently if he could have shaped this squad. But that's that's Graham Potter. My one question about this fit, and Graham, I know you said you had a question about it, so I'm curious what you think. Is Brighton's attacking numbers, really outside of this year, have never been all that special. And and Chelsea's attacking numbers right now really aren't all that special either. It seems to me, and Taylor, you said this earlier to, to just spread the love right now, that, you know, Chelsea have been a really sort of conservative team. And that's, that's kind of their brand. That was kind of their brand under Tuchel, frustratingly so at times. So great success at at other times, but frustratingly so at times. Kieran Doyle pointed this out on Twitter. You know, Brighton's, uh, Brighton's attacking numbers, you go through and look at the chances they've created, have been sort of squarely mid-table under Graham Potter. He has not elevated that part of the team to the next level like he did with their build-up structure, like he did with their possession, like he did with a lot of their defensive stuff. They were 12th, Brighton, under Graham Potter, and XG last year in the Premier League. 12th, right? That's, that's not terrible, but it's not great. It's not eye-catching. They were below Southampton last year in that stat. This year's been better, but, it, I mean, it's early, right? It's been a month of the Premier League season. Is that sustainable? It's not a big enough sample size for us to really know So that's my one question is, is Potter going to fix the thing that I think? Taylor, I know you mentioned the defense, but I, I really think it's the attack that needs to be rejuvenated. And I don't know if Potter can do that. I don't know that we've seen that, at least in this time in the Premier League. But maybe we start seeing it
4: over the next couple of weeks. I, I worry about the profile of the midfielders that Chelsea have in relation to what Potter will, will want at, at, at Chelsea. I look at how Brighton line up in terms of their formation, and, and yes, there's significant overlap there, so Brighton like to play a back three. Chelsea under Tuchel like to play a back three and they've rebuilt their, their defence in terms of personnel. Brought in Fofana, brought in Koulibaly. They already have Thiago Silva, Cesar Azpilicueta can play in a back three. And then they've got, they've got, um, wing backs. Obviously one of them, as we've mentioned, Cucurella, was at Brighton previously. And then on the right side, you've got Reese James, one of the, the best wing backs in, in world football. So I'm not too concerned about large portions of this team. Joe, I share your concerns about the attack, but that midfield unit that Brighton have, is they just have a, a, about three or four players in that unit that are brilliant two-way players they basically do it all and they're, they, they're very fluid and sometimes players like Mwepu, you'll find him in the, in the attacking third and Alexis McAllister, he likes to push into attacking third but then all of a sudden you'll find Alexis McAllister on the edge of his own box pro- providing protection for the for the back three and I look at that Chelsea midfield which is predominantly, I know he's out injured at the moment, Cante, but it's predominantly Jorginho and Cante who are both over the age, age of 30. I worry about the workload that's going to be put on, on them. Maybe you bring in Kovacic, but even Kovacic I think sometimes likes to slow down the game and doesn't play at the intensity and the pace that that, that Potter will look for. And of course, the transfer window is now closed, so maybe Chelsea would have signed a player to help Potter in the centre of the pitch, but they can't do that now until January. So I think he's going to have to make some compromises in that midfield. It's, it's an interesting appointment, no matter which way you look at it. And I do worry that he's going to have some of, a lot of the same issues that Tuchel had in terms of the structure of that team. Potter's very much a coach. He likes to coach uh, his players on the training pitch and leave the kind yeah. of scouting and recruitment to somebody else, which at Brighton, they have that, that, that network as we've covered in depth, Chelsea don't have that at the moment. That network right now is Todd Bowley and Todd Bowley when January comes might get on the phone to Graham Potter and do exactly what he did with Tuchel and look for advice and Potter might not be that interested in offering that much advice. So I would say Chelsea need to get a sporting director and as soon as possible, make sure it's someone that likes potter wants to work with potter that there's an alignment with that vision because that's the other thing i would say is chelsea have kind of done this the wrong way around i would say you'd want to get the sporting director in first then get your manager so that the sporting director has an input in that but they've gone ahead and done it the, the, the backwards way so now you need to reverse engineer it and you need to get a sporting director that will work with potter if they do that and they get the structure in place then i think potter has a good chance of success
0: nothing like building the plane while you're flying it graham nothing like <laughs> <Indeed>. it
4: <laughs> good analogy
1: taylor one last question from me is there? Uh, is, is there a? Graham Potter is has been widely tipped as a, a likely candidate to be the next England manager. Is there a scenario where England are disappointing in this coming World Cup? Yeah, there yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> at the hands of the USMNT. I thank you for jumping in, Joe. Um, nice, and, good stuff. And coincidentally, Graham Potter has not done very well at Chelsea, and a little Chelsea to England room occurs. Uh, I doubt that Graham Potter
2: would jump ship from, ship from Chelsea, unless it goes horrifically wrong uh, there. Uh, Sean Dyche is just waiting in the wings to take over England, oh. and that's the appointment that I want to see happen.
0: My
4: Worm friend. ball, baby. Worm ball. <laughs> one, one, of the, <laughs> one of the interesting aspects of, of, the, of the reports around Potter was, it must have been The Athletic, because I've been reading a lot of The Athletic. There's a lot of good reporting there around Chelsea at the moment. But one of the things was Potter, from his point of view, he doesn't see it as much of a risk because he thinks everyone is aware of the structural issues that Chelsea have, and so if Uh he fails it won't be on him it will be on Chelsea and all I have to say is that is give Ralph Ranić a call and uh, ask him about how his reputation took a beating at Manchester United that's an
0: incredibly charitable way to view the British media right there from Graham Potter it's
4: it's all
2: those Barca players uh, signing this summer and like happily like it's gonna be great as all the other Barca players are like forced out the door and publicly humiliated (laughs) and they're just thinking like that won't be me surely we'll see how that plays out we'll see how it plays out for Graham Potter but I do think I think in the end, it's a things can be two things sort of moment because I don't think it was an obvious mistake to fire Thomas Ducal, but I'm also not sure that like he was the correct person to continue on. But at the same time, I think Graham Potter is a smart hire. So I think it's a strange situation, but I think Graham Potter going in will make it a better situation, at least for the Chelsea squad.
1: There we go, guys. Uh, Good news, we have Big Thinged for another week. Uh, Thank you, listener, for joining us on this one. Let us know if you're enjoying the Big Thing. Let us know what you think about uh, Graham Potter's future at Chelsea. But for now, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ryan Bailey. Graham Rutherford, pleasure, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry. Keep knocking him out of the park, kid. Right back at (laughs) you. And, listener, thank you very much for joining us once again. We'll be back on the feed, but for now. Bye.